I'm hi. My name is Brett Hudson. I was a member of the Hudson Brothers. Well, technically, I still am. You can't get the blood out of you. I am in the zone with Tim and Joan. Okay, huh? recording an interview with Brett Hudson. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd get a kick out of that. I totally get that. <laughs> here we go. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking to the one and the only Brett Hudson of the Hudson Brothers. Hi, How you doing, Tim? Joan, thank you for for allowing me to do this. And if you looked up to me, you have some issues, Tim. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> well, it could just be that I'm probably shorter than you looking up to you, but yeah. And then as far as music goes, I was a big David Cassidy fan, and then I bumped into the Hudson uh, Brothers again musically, and I went, oh, this is interesting. I knew David from, like, 1973. And, and having kind of experienced the same thing he did, he was a really good musician. Oh yeah, I mean a really good musician. We, took, Dave and I, talked about it all the time. I mean, it's just that it didn't matter. I, I will tell you, this is a true story. My brothers and I were touring. This was in 1976, and they didn't listen to our music; they just screamed, mm -hmm. which which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. It's frustrating when you're a real musician and you're, you know, and stuff like that. And we said to our then manager, a gentleman named Ed Leffler, we said, you know, we don't have to play; we can just walk out on stage. Mm -hmm. He goes, no, no, no. Part of it's the music. And for my brother Bill, one night, one night, he goes, "Don't when you walk out, don't pick up your guitars. Just stand there." <laughs> and we walked, we walked out and didn't pick up our guitars. We just stood in the center of the stage and waved and stuff like that. And the screams got louder and louder. We couldn't hear our manager, but he was yelling and swearing at us on the side of the stage to pick up our instruments. But it was to prove a point. Mm -hmm. It was to prove a point. And you know what? I, I don't have a pride and have a problem with it then. It was frustrating because we were really good, legitimate musicians and songwriters, but it, we weren't necessarily known for that. The audience, they, they picked up on the fame and they picked up on the fanboy yep. stuff. And uh, yep. the music was just a delivery system for your sexuality, man. Yeah, no, oh, ab absolutely. Look, uh, I saw that you put up on Facebook that picture of me in a chair and that chair with no shirt on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That was, I was 22. I'm 66. Yes. That damn picture still haunts me <laughs> wherever I go. And I did a, I wrote and produced a film with Burt Reynolds, God bless him, called Cloud Nine. And Burt and I were sitting and talking and stuff like that. And he said, he was looking through some pictures and he goes, oh my God, I see what I mean. And he showed me that picture that he took in Cosmopolitan. And I, I said, oh, I got one better. And I had it on my phone and I showed him. I said, see that? Uh. I was 22. I'm 65. He goes, I still sign these things. He goes, my body doesn't look like that anymore. He goes, in each body, he goes, and either do I, which is really interesting. Show business is fleeting. It changes mm -hmm. even when you're successful. It just, it, it keeps changing. Like if you would have told me back then that I would be writing and directing independent films, I would have said, you're crazy. There's no way. Just roll, roll with the punches, as they say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had um, some brushes with that. Um, I do write parody songs, um, and mm -hmm. I, I put out one a couple of years ago. It was a parody of um, the Ramones song, Sedated. Mine's called, called I'm Gonna Be Offended. And, uh, <laughs> and it, became, oh, it, it, it became a number one song on the Dr. Demento show. And uh, oh, the, the little fleeting fame that came along with it, because it was at the right time that Trump was running for office. Everyone started to pay attention to me, and I was thinking to myself, is it because of the song? Uh, you know, because it couldn't be because yeah. of me. 
you know, so it had to be. So <laughs> I had that fleeting fame every now and then, just like uh, at one no. time I had uh, an interview with David Cassidy in 1991. And he said it was very difficult to concentrate on anything he had to do with all the screaming going on behind him. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, uh, like I said, David and I talked about it at length. The first, we both like bonded on this one thing. The first, after our television show, the first big tour my brothers and I did, the first place we played was, played was an outdoor place in Dallas. <laughs> and we're driving in and we saw all these people sitting up on the hill. And my brother Bill said, wow, who's playing there? Wow. It was us. <laughs> it was us. And when we walked out, we weren't expect. I honestly wasn't expecting that reaction. Because, yeah. uh, you know, I was, what, 21, 22, something like that. I wasn't expecting it. So we walked out, and they just started to scream. And in my head, I was going, what are they screaming at? It was the death. And David had the same reaction. He, he Actually, David started to laugh and said, turned to the guitar player and said, what's happening? <laughs> because you just don't, you don't expect that. But you know what? I have no, and somebody asked me this a while back, do I have any regrets? Mm. And honestly, as far as my career goes, no, I, I don't. I really don't. I wouldn't give up what we did, even though back then in the 70s, if you did television, if we were caught in between an image, if mm. you did television, you weren't musically accepted. If you just, just did music, you weren't television accepted. We were stuck in between that. And a part of our biggest problem was is we were funny in real life. Yeah, it was funny. Someone classified you as the Marx Brothers of music. We couldn't help ourselves. I mean, if you, <laughs> If, if when we were touring, if you went to see us like multiple times, you might have heard some of the same songs, but you've never heard the same show. That's just the way we were. Our whole goal was to try to make each other laugh on stage. That's really what we cared about was to entertain each other, which the audience picked up on because that's that's what we are in real life. Were in real life. Were most of your shows uh, like the uh, ones that you did live at the Chateau? Yeah, that was. Uh, i got a story about that. This is kind of funny. Go My brothers it. and I, now have got to remember, I'm going back 1978, I think. Mm -hmm. We recorded ourselves live. And for anybody that knows it, just on quarter-inch tape. It was mixed, you know, and it just a, a direct feed to the tape machine. And we lost the tape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so cut to 2007, I think it was. My business manager calls and says, hey, there's a box that was sent here for you guys. It's just got a bunch of stuff in it. I said, okay, well, when, I, when I'm in that area, I'll come and pick it up. And I went and I picked it up. I opened the box, and it was just a bunch of, like, you know, flyers and, and, and newspaper articles and photographs and, and stuff like that. And at the bottom was a tape that said 1978. What's the, what, the, what is that? My brother Mark has a studio. I brought it to my brother Mark, and I said, I found this tape. Or this tape was, it was in a box that somebody sent with a bunch of stuff on it. And he, he goes, well, I can't play it. I said, well, why not? He goes, because... It's from 1978. It's been sitting in there. <laughs> and a friend of his told us what to do, which is you put it in the oven mm -hmm. and warm it up, I guess. I don't know. And then play it. But when you play it, make sure you download it. And some of the tape was damaged. Like uh, we had a top 20 record called Rendezvous. Right. And when it got to that part of the song, literally sounded like we were uh, doing it underwater. But a lot of the tracks were clean. And we just thought, hey, what the hell? Let's do it. I mean, we, it was recorded at the Chateau, uh, I think Saratoga, and I'm not sure, but I think it might have been the Salt Palace in Utah. It was in, we recorded it in three different places Wow! and lost it, which is, you know, if, if you know my brother, if you knew my brother tonight, that's typical of what we would do. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say it.
About the time you met Harry Nielsen, I met Harry when I, I think I was sixteen or seventeen. We had the same lawyer, and uh, we were in the conference room. And Harry came in, and a little tiny reel-to-reel tape uh, he had, and he slid it down to my brother Bill. And he goes, "If you guys want to record that, you can." And it was uh, it was a song that Harry submitted for Midnight Cowboy. It was between Everybody's Talking and Harry's song, which is I guess the Lord must be in New York City. Oh wow! They picked Everybody's Talking. And Harry sang it. So we took, uh, I guess the Lord must be in New York City, went up to Seattle, Washington, recorded it, and it was released on Decca Records, I think. And it started to get some action. 
when RCA saw that ours was bubbling under and, and the, you know, low in the, in the billboard charts, they released Harry's version and we kind of canceled each other out in the sixties. Oh. You know, <laughs> hey, but that, you know, that, that happens, but I was friends. We were friends with them. I, uh, I'll give you a little news that not a lot of people know. Okay. We lost touch with Harry there for a while. Harry had some issues and then we kind of hooked up again. And, uh, my brother Mark has a studio in LA and, they cut an album. I was doing some television series. I don't remember what I was doing. I was producing and writing on a television series. So I wasn't around. And I called my brother and I said, hey, you know, how's it going? How's Harry? And he goes, fine. I said, yeah, I've been thinking about him. He goes, why don't you call him? I said, okay. The next day I called him. And I said, you know what? How's it going? And he goes, I got one more track to sing. And then it's background vocals. And all the lead vocals are done. And he went to my brother's studio, sang that last track. And that night, he passed away. Oh, man. But the good news is, my brother Mark is in the process right now of completing that album, putting the background on it. Oh, wow. So it'll be a Harry Nielsen album that no one's ever heard. Beautiful. Yeah. You know, you you just got to keep these guys alive. (laughs) Oh, yeah. In in the weird... Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm trying it's, to. I'm, it's, this it's, is what I'm doing right now, man. <laughs> I'm trying to go back to my yeah, childhood yeah. icons and trying to get something out of them, you know, before they're forgotten. And I know they're not going to be, but you know, it's my contribution. No, it, that's real important. I mean, I'm uh, like I did a documentary for a tele for a television called "The Secret History of Rock and Roll." Yes, and I got to, I got to interview you know like Tommy James, Sean Dell. I always forget her name. The singer, oh. um, be my baby, Ronnie Spector. <laughs> and it was interesting when I was a kid. I used to write people's names in my hand. That's how bad I am. But I got to interview these people, and I, I found a real connection between because I was of that time as well. Between how it's changed and how young artists today don't have the do not get the same experience as we do. Yeah, like the record business. Record business doesn't exist anymore, Mm-mm. and and that's a, that's a shame. It should, because now you got people putting their songs up on YouTube, and they think uh, they think they're successful. Mm-hmm. Well, YouTube's YouTube's free, so you know. It used to be good work back in the day, and now it seems like, oh, you know, it's uh, you're here and gone. You're flashing the pan, and uh, sometimes you know, sometimes it takes tw- you know twenty, thirty, forty years to be a flash in the pan. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's a real slow flash. <laughs> but it it does happen. But like I said, you know, stuff like that. I would never. Uh, I, I I never thought I'd get to meet some of the people that I've met and and got to like not just shake their hand and say hi, how you doing, but got to like hang out with them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that was real inspiring. John Lennon and my brothers and I. Uh, uh, come on, he's a Beatle. I mean, I he's he he and the rest of the guys are part of the reason I think I did what I we did what we did. Mm-hmm. That's how we inspired by them. We were and Elvis Presley and, you know, you know, Buddy Holly and stuff like that. But the Beatles kicked it. I kicked us over the edge. And then all of a sudden I get to meet the guy and like hang out with him. That's sweet. Yeah. It was just, uh, so that's why I have no regret. I learned so much from people that I admired, which helped me not kill myself or people. (laughs) I have found myself over the the decades bumping into celebrities I admire and interviewing them and flying to the coast and talking to them and then coming back home and pinching myself. How in the hell did this happen? You know, I found myself on stage once with Todd Rundgren playing a guitar. How in the hell did this happen? I keep bumping 
tapping into the the celebrities, and I feel either I'm so blessed and so lucky, or I have the worst luck in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I agree with that. It is a coin flip, but that's see that's what makes it for me anyway. That's that's what makes it special. I just I just I don't know what it is. I mean, my brothers and I were kind of like the Forrest Gump of show business. We just ended up with all these obscure people that we we would never, you know, Groucho Marx, John Lennon. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, I keep going. We uh, I, I met Mae West, which you want to talk about obscure, just completely stuff like that. And that's what that's really what makes it interesting. I don't know if it's like that anymore. I don't think it's quite the same because uh, of. of uh, because of attorneys, managers, and agents. Yeah, you know, that, that and social that, media kind of takes away the personality, the one-on-one -on -one relationship with the people. Absolutely. Well, social media is, is good on one hand, and it's the devil on the other. Amen. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it really is. Uh, you know, I, I, it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Exactly. But, you know, just deal with it. a lot on social media i'm not very well i'm not very political so to speak yeah even I, no though, I noticed that <laughs> well you know but no you know what it is i'll tell you what it is this is what and I, I i said this to my friend remember the song chickaboom 
Shake yeah, a boom, shake a boom. Just no? love okay. it. That's, that's a, a daddy do drops. It's actually a friend of mine I've known since I was 15 or 16 named Dick Monda. Wow. We were talking on the phone and it was during the election. And, and I just said, you know, this is going to sound really weird. I've said it before and people laugh at me. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm for what's right. And he said, he laughed. He goes, what does that mean? I said, if you can't tell the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, forget platforms, forget agendas, just the right thing to do, do the right thing. Yeah. Moral compass, that's, man. That's, exactly. Moral compass. That's the party I'm in, which I think I'm the only one that's in it. But hey, <laughs> I'm, I'll start it there. That's just how I think. And, and I don't mind admitting it. He said, well, who did you vote for? And I said, I didn't vote. And he went like, what? You didn't vote? I said, I didn't vote for the presidency. Uh-huh. He goes, why didn't you do that? I said, I'll give you an example. I don't like liver or duck. If I go to a restaurant and they're only serving liver and duck, I won't eat. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I didn't like the menu. That's the swear to God truth. I didn't like the choice. I thought it was bizarre. I still think it's bizarre. Yeah, it was tough. Just, it was tough. It was a strange, it, you know, we're, our country's going through a very strange, uh, I don't know if it's growing pains. That might be the wrong phrase. Mm. But we, we've, we've, got some, we've got some issues we have to iron out here and come together, as corny as it sounds, as a unit mm-hmm. and, fix, and fix these mistakes. And and we can't do it if we're arguing back and forth over their platform, our platform, this platform, that fix the mistake. It's not even a matter of speaking your mind anymore. It's actually, the problem is not listening to the other person. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. You don't listen. And so I kind of just say, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to even get involved in the conversation because you can't win. No, I'm look, if, if, if you're a Democrat, I don't think you're going to change any Republicans' mind. No, correct. And vice versa. It's not. It just. It's just not the way it is. It's just like you know, if you're a Catholic, you're not going to change a Mormon's mind. And vice versa. It's just. So why bother? Why bother even getting into the discussion? Because all you're going to do is tell everybody your opinion. They're going to tell yours, and then you're going to say, "Okay, thanks. Thanks for the argument." Yeah, <laughs> I just use it I for. Just, I use it for comedy fodder. I mean, basically, that's all I can use it for, a, a good constructive yep. purpose of uh, politics. But other than that yep. is I don't like sharing my concepts because, you know, people get shot for doing stuff like that nowadays. <laughs> you know, and, and I have enough that's trying true. to keep an audience, let alone trying to keep, you know, someone pissed at me. I agree 100 percent. So I just so I just, you know, I keep my my those thoughts to myself because I'm not going to change anybody's mind and nobody's going to change mine. Right. So I basically try to have fun with it. I know it sounds weird, but yeah. there's some funny stuff out there, and that's it. Which came first, Mr. Kirby or Dua Diddy? Because you did uh, Dua Diddy as the New Yorkers, right? Yep, yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, Mr. Kirby came first. We recorded Mr. Kirby, I think it was in 1960. Yeah, I was 13, 1966. We were on a local... Uh, record company called Jared and Music, which was in Seattle, Washington. And we were signed to them, and we, we cut this song, and Scepter Records, Florence Greenberg, I'll never forget her, <laughs> they, they picked it up and released it. And it actually, you know, it actually got into like, you know, top 40 on Billboard, and we toured with everybody, like Herman's Hermits and The Who and Blues Magoos and wow. the Buckinghams, Johnny Nat. I mean, we just toured, I was a kid, we just toured with everybody. And then, uh, 
the age-old show business story, mm-hmm. our manager at the time, stole all the money. <laughs> mm. And uh, that was pretty much it. And, you know, we're Italian, so we were thinking, we got, you know, that's it, it's over, let's just get a job in produce. Because that's what <laughs> Italians do. And, and uh, my brother Bill, being who he is, said, no, 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 that's not going to happen. We're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And uh, we never stopped. We just kept trying, you know, it was, it was tough, but we just kept going. We're fortunate enough, knock on wood, to have had success, but we didn't give up because we knew we had something and we didn't know what it was. We knew there was some, something because audiences reacted to us. Even when we played dances and, you know, oral in California and people's barns and stuff, there was just a reaction to the three of us. So we knew we had something and the television show was a total fluke. The way we got that, that wasn't even, that was, that wouldn't happen today. That's what I'm saying. That would not, there, there lies the difference between when I started and what it's like today. It would not happen today. about the summer replacement show for Sonny and Cher on CBS. Chris Beard and Alan Bly. All right. They were producing Sonny and Cher show. And the, and a number of, uh, you know, they also did, uh, you know, they did the Elvis Presley 60, or Chris did the Elvis Presley 68 special. Alan Bly did the Smothers Brothers show, the Andy Williams show. So they were like top variety producers. And uh, my brothers and I were staying, sleeping on the floor at our, our, our manager's house. And uh, he said, if you take down the wallpaper... I'm having a party on Saturday. You guys can come. So we took down the wallpaper and put up new wallpaper, and there was a party. Now, everybody who was anybody at the time was there. I mean, everybody. Sonny and Cher, Led Zeppelin, Dusty Springfield. It was that all that people from that era. 
And they were all dressed according to the times. Like Elton came in in a pink satin suit <laughs> uh, with a with a a pink Afro wig that had lights in it. Uh, so it was, it was that era. Okay. My brothers and I we're from we're from Portland, Oregon. You know when they say that Nirvana started this grunge look. Yeah. I laughed. I said, no, that's how you dress. That's how we dress up there. It's <laughs> not a grunge look. You know, Pendleton hoodie and stuff like that and jeans. That's how they dress in the Pacific Northwest. My brothers and I were dressed like that. So consequently, we stuck out like a sore thumb. <laughs> and Chris Beard said to my, my, this is so hard to explain. My brothers and I have a thing about free shrimp. Don't, it's too hard to Free shrimp to us is, is literally like caviar. Yeah. So we, if there was if there was free shrimp somewhere, we'd go. And they said there was going to be free shrimp. So Mark is standing there, and Chris Beard didn't know him. Said, "Who are you?" And he said, "I'm Mark Hudson." He goes, "What do you do?" And my brother Mark, being who he is, he said, "About twenty minutes," <laughs> which is an old line. And I walked up, not knowing anything, and I said, "I walked up and I said to Mark, I said, hey, there's no free shrimp here.'" And Chris Beard said, who's that? And he goes, that's my little brother, Brett. And I said, have you seen any shrimp? To Chris, And Chris started laughing. It's a total accident. And then my brother Bill came up and said, they said they're bringing the shrimp out. This is where it got you. I swear on my life. This is that. And Chris Beard said, who's that? And I said, that's our older brother, Bill. And he just lost it. He, he, we didn't do anything. He just started laughing. Great. And he, he gave us his card. And said, I'm at CBS. Can you call me? So Bill took the card. We said, yeah. We didn't know. No. And we went for the shrimp. Now, we had we called him, and he said, come down and meet my partner, which was Alan Bly. And we went down there. And this is not a routine. This is something that's just, I think, because we're brothers. We all, three of us sat down at the, at the couch and at the same time crossed our right leg over our left. <laughs> and Chris Beard just started laughing. And I remember my brother Bill said, what the hell are you laughing at? Because we, we didn't, he goes, you guys. So we talked a little bit, and then we left. And we signed with Rocket Record. And we, uh, Bernie Toppin produced us. We, were, we went over to England. We rehearsed in England and then went to the Chateau in France. And we cut an album called Totally Out of Control. Oh, yeah. Then, I, I love that album, by the way. Then we flew back, and they put us up in the Continental Hyatt House. Oh, wow. And there was a message for us to call Chris Beard. Bill said, I'm helping. So we called him and he goes, he, we go down to the, his office at CBS on Fairfax and he goes, do you guys want to do television? And we were like, no, the hell, no, we're, we're rock and rollers. We're musicians. We don't want to do television. And he goes, I'll, I'll pay you $5,000 a show. And without missing a beat, my brother Bill said, we love television. We've always wanted to do television. Do television. And we went and shot this presentation. Now, this is where Chris Beard, God bless him, he passed away a couple years ago. This is where his genius was. Mm -hmm. We had never done television. And that was back in the day when you looked at camera one, camera four, camera three. Mm -hmm. And there, we were rehearsing, and he would, my line, I had a look to camera two, which was to my left. Mm -hmm. Okay, I didn't know that they moved. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> told me. So we're rehearsing, and I look to cam what's camera two, and camera two is now on the other side, so it's shooting the back of my head, basically. <laughs> and Bill goes, Brett, what are you doing? I said, I'm saying it to camera two. He goes, camera two is over there. I said, well, who moved it? <laughs> and Chris was recording that. Uh... So after about a 20-minute 20, a 20 rehearsal, my brother Bill said, okay, we got it. We can, we can do this now. And Chris came in. He had tears running down his eyes. He goes, mm -hmm. no, we're done. We went, what? He goes, no, we're done. 
Rhapsody done at Art Fisher. God bless him. <laughs> Art Fisher, one of the best variety show directors ever, came down and he went, that was gold. And we're going, no, that wasn't gold. That was, <laughs> we were yelling at each other. I mean, and swearing. You know, I'm sorry, I will swear. I mean, Mark, Mark looked at me after and he goes, don't be a fucking idiot. Look at camera two. I said, okay, stop moving it. Camera two should be over there. And Chris recorded that. Wow. Yeah, and he showed it to Fred Silverman. And Fred Silverman, who was the president of CBS at the time, and he goes, Give him five summer shows. That's how that happened. One person you worked with grew up to be a Power Ranger, Scott Fisher. Oh, Scotty. Yeah, fabulous Freddy, VP in charge of children's programming. He he grew up, he became a Power Ranger? Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is awesome. No, first off, I mean, I, he was a little kid. Mm-hmm. He, was, he, was, he was so much fun to work with because, you know, we were like in our 20s, we'd torture this little kid and just like make him screw up and, and whisper stuff. He was just, he was wonderful. He was, it was, it was so great for him. And we actually became friends with this little kid. He was so sweet and so smart and so articulate. 
and I'm still friends with him today on oh, Facebook, cool. which is interesting. Gee, Mr. Freddy, I want to thank you for this great opportunity. Nothing at all, my boy. Tell <laughs> well, Mr. Freddy, you remember that executive that put us on the air in the first place? Well, where is he now? He's washing cars in New Jersey. <laughs> Care for a crushed cupcake? No, thanks. We're trying to cut down. <laughs> yeah, he was... He was great, and I, I looked like I got, I got to work with uh, Murray Langston, uh, Peter Cullen, Ted Ziegler, all those guys, the crazies from the Sunday and Cher show. Oh yeah, I got to work with with all Freeman King. I got to work with all those guys. They were like seasoned veterans, and we were just three dorks <laughs> in a weird way. We didn't know what we were doing. So I remember my brother Bill said, well, just do what we do. One of the questions I had about uh, Fabulous Freddy, I, now, I, I don't know if you catch it, but I catch it when I look at it. Were they trying to make him with the glasses? Yes. I'll answer your question before you get it out. The reason they called him Fabulous Freddy was after uh, the president of CBS. <laughs> that's why they called him Fabulous Freddy with the glasses. Uh, so, you know, that's exactly what it was. He was supposedly running the show so to speak. The way we got that Saturday morning show is interesting. You know, there were three summer shows that year. I believe it was Tony Orlando and Don, me and my brothers, and, uh, you know, what's her name? Ode to Billy Joe. Bobby Gentry. <laughs> I can't remember her name. Isn't that horrible? Uh, Why did God curse me with uh, this? I can't remember. But I know you're Tim and I know you're Jones because I have it written <laughs> in my hand. But everything else I've got a problem with. This is how naive we were. After the first one aired, we were still shooting, and, uh, we were in Toronto at the time shooting Razzle Dazzle, and Alan Bly came in our dressing room, and he goes, your show aired last night. And we went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, you're not going to believe this. You got a 42 share. And we went, oh, no. <laughs> I said, it's over. <laughs> we had no idea that a 42 share was gigantic. We had no idea. Wow. But we ended up with an average of the five shows of uh, a 38 share in the country. That's not bad. But No, it's not bad at all. Remember, there are only three networks. Yeah. but That's right. <laughs> we were brought in by Chris Beard and Alan Bly, and Tony Orlando and Don were brought in by Freddie Silverman, who ran the network. So naturally, because Tony was in the show was good as well. I, I, he's a good guy. They got picked up for a series. They didn't want to let us go because... NBC or ABC would have picked us up based on our 38 average share. Right. So they gave us they gave us a Saturday morning show. That's really it. Yeah. And we were so naive. We thought, yeah, okay, we'll go do this and put on those stupid outfits and stuff like that. And then when we're done, we'll go back to wearing leather jackets, jeans, and do. no, no way could we go back. We could not <laughs> buck that image. We embraced it. <laughs> yeah, love it. The the kid. Reminded me of Stan Freeberg. You know, how Stan Freeberg oh, would deliver with the red hair and the glasses. And that's I what knew it. Stan. Oh, Stan. Okay, here I go again. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go, I knew go. Stan. Please go. No, it's just, it, happens, <laughs> it happens to me all the time. My friend Jeff Abrams will put up a picture of somebody and, on Facebook, and I'll go, yeah, I worked with him. And I mean, he goes, who haven't you worked with? I said, well, I've never worked with Sophie Tucker. That's for sure. I'm too young. But, Talk about uh, obscure. I knew, I knew Stan. Uh, I knew his daughter, Donna, and I'm still friends with his son, uh, Donovan, on Facebook. I knew him when he was born. I remember when he was born, and I remember him when he was like six. Wow. So I kind of knew Stan. Stan, he doesn't get enough credit, my personal opinion. He was a brilliant satirist. Oh, yeah. He really was. Incredible. If you've ever heard any of his albums or anything like that, he did a great thing that they never aired. Uh, this is going back a ways. 
when they were, I hate to say it for all you animal lovers all the time as well, when they were beating baby seals yes. uh, for, the, for their pelts. Yeah. He shot, a he shot a commercial with two guys dressed in baby seal outfits with clubs mm. walking down the street. He goes, come on, we've got to find a baby human. <laughs> which really, which, which, well, but you know what? It really made a point. Yeah. Mm. And you're right. There was, and I didn't even, never thought about it, but there was something about, <laughs> about Fabulous Freddy and, and uh, Stan that now I see the connection. <laughs> but see, that's my problem too. You mentioned, I want to say obscure name like that. Not a lot of people know Stan Freeberg, especially, uh, you know, unless you're our age or up there. Yeah. Um, I, I, I got the, wonderful opportunity to meet these people and be around them that that i can't how how would i regret or want to change that because had i not taken the, my brothers and i not taken the path we took right i might have never been able to have been around those people that i admire and learned so much from i was remembering my career how i miss the stage
the name of the movie is called What You Can't See. What You Can't See. What I want to do, and actually it's what I'm doing, the sale of the movie and the profit of the movie. I've, uh, I've partnered with a theater group here called in Michigan called What A Do. Yes. They're wonderful. They're, they're a nonprofit, which is great. So I partnered with them. So the profits of this movie and the sale of the movie, that money, 50% of that money is going to cancer research. And the other 50 staying in the in the community for the arts. Yeah, there's no monster in it. I will give people that. <laughs> Nothing's going to come out of the wall, uh, you know, CGI. Ain't happening. Yeah, it's actually it's actually uh, it's scary. I mean, I hate I, that. That's but it's it's thriller scary. It's not like uh, you know blood and guts. No, no one's going to get their head cut off or anything like that. It's so not a psychological drama. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm thrilled that I got everybody on board to do good with that money rather than putting it in your pockets. I mean, everybody's going to make money because you work on the film and I'm fine with that, but somebody's got to do exactly, just, you know, we just lost Eddie money. That broke my heart. And then Rick Ocasek just yeah. the other day. Oh my God, man. I, I know. I know. It's weird. You know, you know, my wife says, Oh, it's, it's our age. I'm 66. Mm-hmm. When as a kid, my uncles that were 66 were like old, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. Rick was what? 70, 70 or 75, 75. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Eddie Money, I don't even know how old he was. I think he was around it's about the right. same age. They they were bo- they born, one was born three days before the other, and the other died three days after. It's so weird. Wow, that is very weird. Joan and I was talking about a subject the other day that I thought that I might get your thoughts of. What do you think of the Second Amendment? I don't hunt. I'm not one of the, I've never been one of those guys. Father Tommy, if somebody wants to get you, they're going to get you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no matter whether it's a gun and a rock, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, you know, that is the gun issue. I mean, what do you need like an automatic weapon for? Yeah, for nothing. It only uh, does one thing. The, yeah. I mean, if you're in the military and you're, you know, fighting or whatever, that fun, hey, fun, in a normal house on the corner has an AR-15, AR-4, whatever the hell they are, for what? Well, it's not for shooting tin okay. cans off a fence, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it's, it's the only just, it's uh, it's the only weapon designed by man that only does one thing. I mean, a knife, you know, it can kill, but it can whittle wood too, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. No, I'm uh, I'm not a gun guy. No, we you just have to fix that. You sold really you sold all those guns to buy amps uh, for the Jewish well, we, the oh, Jewish I, defense. Wait, wait a second. Wait. Let, we had no money. We were, I mean, literally, we were sleeping in the van and stuff like that, playing these little dances for 50 bucks. Yeah. The guy wasn't going to pay us. We stole these, sold, sold them to the defense league for five bucks a, a gun. <laughs> I don't know why, hey. but that is so funny as hell. <laughs> we knew they were going to go to a good cause because they, I guess, shipped them over to, they're, they're always fighting. And I don't even think they know why they're fighting anymore. But we, we needed the money. You know, five bucks a gun. Come on, man. <laughs> you got to do something. We couldn't have made it home. You bought yeah. two amps, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we did. But that's all right. New amps. <laughs> <laughs> Had to do something. Oh, you know? man. And now you you would be, be all the social media, and I'd probably be cuffed and taken to jail. <laughs> that's the sort of God truth. But nobody knew that until my brothers and I started talking about it. Because amplifiers, we steal rifles, sell them to the Jewish Defense League, and buy myself a new amp. I think that was I think that was good business. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's you didn't much profit off of it as you traded one thing. You bartered. That's yes. what you did. You bartered. It, 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 it was a barter, but look, 
we got the new amps, we sounded better, we got more gigs, <laughs> things worked out much better. And the Jewish Defense League was very happy. I don't even know if those guns worked, because we didn't like try them. But, uh, you know, the amp was great. I got a Vox Essex. Oh, beauty. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget that. And, and Mark finally got rid of My brother Mark had the biggest kick drum I've ever seen. His first drum set we got secondhand. And so the cymbal, one cymbal stuck straight up from the bass drum. <laughs> but the bass drum was gigantic. I mean gigantic to the point, because Mark was, what, 14, 13, 14? He'd sit behind it, and we only saw his head. <laughs> that's how big. <laughs> oh, God. The only thing I really miss I miss recording with just Bill and Mark. I miss that because yeah. it was creative about it. There was something, it was just the three of us. And, and I, I missed that free, that was free. And it was, it was, we, we would, we didn't have to talk. That's another thing. We, because we're brothers, it's almost like you don't even have to finish the sentence and the other two know exactly what you, you were going to say. That's what I liked about the uh, the song Three of Us," because when I heard that, I just went, uh, "That's it's exactly the way it is." The way well, that Bill wrote that song, and he wrote it during a really bizarre time, because you know we, we've we've had ups, downs, sideways, more downs, <laughs> and up, and I mean it was all we were, and it was just a really it was a really difficult time in in our career, and all we really had, as corny as it sounds, mm-hmm. was the three of us. We've traveled the high road But we've seen the low We've been up and down But we've been there together Together, baby, and if I 
three of us always stuck together. I actually like that song. That's uh, that's on uh, situation. I think. Yes, it I can't is. Remember the name of the album. Yeah. yeah. Now look, I'm not taking. I'm not putting down Chucky Margolis. He's ah, one of my favorite people I've ever. That was coming <laughs> up next. But if you remove Chucky Margolis, I don't mean remove him completely. And I think they put a Razzle Dazzle song on it. That's a very good album with really good songs. Songs for Stephanie. Uh, Strike Up the Boys in the Band. That's a really good album that didn't get its just due because of the picture. Oh, yeah. Which is, I understand it now. It's called marketing. And I'm not, like, again, I'm not putting down Chucky Margolis. My brothers, there was a place in Portland, Oregon Street, Corral. And I think it was once a month, and they, they would do like, you know, country dancing. And once a month, they would have this for the kids. My brothers and I used to play it. And there was a kid named Jeff who was probably 13, 14 in there. We used to come and help us unload the van, set up our equipment, and then load it back up and stuff like that. And he used to just lie. <laughs> I mean, bla- and you knew he was lying. I'll give you an example. One time, he wasn't there. Brother Bill said, God, where's Jeff? <laughs> stuff and get set up because Jeff wasn't there. So we got it all in, and then Jeff walked in. And my brother Bill said, hey, Jeff, where were you? And he talked just like Chuck. I'm going to give you a little Chuck. Oh, I'm sorry I'm late. I stopped at 7-Eleven. There were some Hells Angels in there. They gave me some shit, so I had to beat the <laughs> hell out of them. <laughs> And you, you know it's a lie. I mean, really? God, what happened? I went in there to get a pack of smokes. They drove up on their Harleys. And I just said, get out of my way or the four of you are in trouble. So I beat the hell out of them. I think I lost my smokes. Okay. Yeah, the, the, so. the, the, the funniest, funniest thing is when you're telling the story and you always get to the person, the antagonist, hey, Margola. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that was a total, see, that's another thing you want to talk about that we did on the first summer show. My brothers and I wrote that on a legal pad. We used to be driving in the van, you know, with 10 hours to play for 50 bucks, someplace, Red Bluff, California, wherever the hell it was. And in between, sometimes my brother, we'd be talking about stuff and Bill would go, so what do you think about it, Chucky? I would break into Chucky Margolis. Just, it was entertainment for us. And then Mark came up with, Alan Adi Greco was actually based on a kid who grew up, who if you... If you uh, it was a little girl, if you, she would give you her full name. My name is my name is Mary Louise Miller. Yeah, it didn't matter. And if you called her, you had to say Mary Louise Miller. You know, she wouldn't respond. <laughs> so Mark called, came up with Alan Audi Greco, yeah. which he uses the whole name all the time. But one, the Haymar Golis thing is is a phenomenal. I mean, he's funny as well. Don't get me wrong. But he just maybe he saw the fear in my eyes. <laughs> he would ask me something that wasn't on the and that whole thing about uh, I walk Cindy whatever's I walk Cindy Schwartz home. That wasn't on the cue cards. The whole thing I just was being Jeff from the D three Corral. <laughs> to me, hey, I'm our call. I see you're walking with Schwartz. What Jeff would have done. So that's all I was doing was mimicking this kid. I don't even know what happened to him. And the reason it related to people, because I think everybody has known a Chucky. Hi there. Tonight I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name's Chucky Margolis. He has a friend named Alan Adi Greco. Chucky's really strange. I mean, he lives in the basement of his house and he really never sees his mom or dad. He just sees their ankles. (laughs) He's about five or six years old. I'm not really sure because he lies a lot. Anyway, he lives in the basement of his house and he never sees his mom or dad. They just throw his food down to him. <laughs> I'm the only person in the world who can talk to Chucky. In fact, I'm going to talk to him right now, and I'm going to introduce him to all of you. Chucky! Chucky, come here! 
<laughs> Hi, want to see my waterbed? You have a waterbed? It's not a real one. Shut up, Alan. It's not a real one. I just filled my old mattress with water. <laughs> the smoke's not even at the bed. <laughs> Chuck, I heard that you fell in love at school. Sidney Schwartz. <laughs> Chuck, what, what about it? Cindy Schwartz. Cindy Schwartz, huh? I heard you kissed her, Chuck. kissed her on the cheek. You did? What'd she do? She punched me in the stomach until I threw it up. <laughs> you did? Chucky? Chucky? Chucky, what did you do? I hit her on the back of the head with my history book. <laughs> well, Chucky, how is she? She's really sick, man. <laughs> I'm getting ready for my birthday party. It's a surprise party. <laughs> Alan, I'm going to surprise your party if you don't stop. Every year on my birthday, my parents treat me real nice, and if I'm a good boy, you know what they do? No, what? They throw down birthday cake to me. Chucky, what about presents? Last year I got a bicycle, a red one with a black seat. He stole it. <laughs> Alan, I had to steal it. I had to. My daddy said, what are you laughing at? <laughs> My daddy said that he couldn't afford to buy me one. He stole it from his father's bicycle shop. <laughs> Have you ever been upstairs, you know, to see your mom or dad? Alan and I snuck up once. You did? What? Alan, what? <laughs> well, Chuck, what did you see? What would you do? They had this, this big bowl with water in it and smoke coming out, green smoke, and they were smoking it and they went to sleep. They did? <laughs> so, you know, you, Chuck, you know, you know we, what I, we took the bowl. Alan! What did you Alan do? Alan and I took the bowl of the water and drank it. And then we went downstairs and I saw taxi cabs and fire trucks. <laughs> oh, I saw <laughs> That was really weird. Everything was so beautiful. <laughs> I saw trees eating cars and squirrels was tap dancing. <laughs> then I saw Robin Hood. Alan. That's the ridiculous thing I've ever heard. You didn't see Robin Hood, but I did see Cinderella. <laughs> I mean, I can't talk to you much longer. I've got to go to band practice. Oh, you're in the school band? Yep, I play Never Trumpet. Never Trumpet? Chucky, what's Never Trumpet? Well, Luke plays first trumpet. Jimmy plays second trumpet, and the teacher said Chuck will never play the trumpet.
now I plays the drums. Cindy Schwartz plays trumpet. And guess what she did to Chucky? Ah, well, well, what'd she do? What'd she do, Chuck? <laughs> she gave me a hickey during the national anthem. <laughs> I walked Cindy home from bad practice, but we got some trouble. Well, what kind of trouble? Simon Fritz, the football captain. Out. One more word, and I'll spread your nose over your eyes. <laughs> Simon Fritz, the football captain. <laughs> he said to me, Hey, Margot. <laughs> I see you're walking with Schwartz. <laughs> said, shoot up, Simon Fritz. Go pick up my best friend. <laughs> I said, okay, Fritz, put up your fat arms, you big meat blubber. <laughs> then you know what he does to me? What? He pulled out my eyelashes and beat me in the kidneys till I couldn't see. <laughs> and then... He took my school book and rubbed it in my orange and I saved from school. And then he lit my hat on fire. <laughs> and then what happened? Well, when I got up to put Alan's hat out, <laughs> he said, that'll teach a Margolis. Then he slipped on my orange and busted his back. <laughs> Actually, it was our last being in front of a live audience. This was the fifth show. And I think they felt bad. Peter came into our dressing room and said, look, we finish, we're going to finish early, about 45 minutes early. Give the script to cue card guy, and, mm -hmm. and if we have enough time, we'll roll out a flat, and you guys can do it. So we, went, we had never done it in front of a The only person I'd ever done Chucky in front of was Bill and Mark. Wow. Period, because we'd never done it. And nobody knew what was going to happen. If you listen to that track on that album, that sweetened audience. That's the audience that stayed there. Wow. It just, it just it connected like you could not believe. So much that they asked us to come and do four more. Wow. Yeah, see? And I'm proud of that. I really am. I'm proud that my brothers and I stuck to our guns and work. This will work. This will work. And I understand why they didn't want us to do it. I mean, God, the writing staff on that show was... You know, Bob Einstein, I mean, just it was the, the who's who of writing sketch variety shows. Genius. Time. Yeah, genius yeah. at the time. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Cosmo him, all those guys. Uh, uh, Steve Martin was a, you know, Sonny and Chalda. Oh, they yeah. were brilliant. And he, here were three guys from Portland, Oregon. Who in the hell are they? And I understand that. I, I, don't, I don't say, well, fooled, I got them, didn't we? No, I got <laughs> to do Chucky Margolis. I got my, I had, at one point, Chucky Margolis' fan club, had, was bigger than the Hudson Brothers. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I believe me, I let my brother forget that. <laughs> I guarantee that. There's a running gag in almost everything you do, and the best way to do it is, I think I wrote it down once, and you said that was the best way to say it, vert. Oh, vert. Now you know where it is. Uh, you know where that came from? No. Okay. There, Ch Charlie Callis. Oh, you, uh, okay. Yeah, Okay. Now you wet my whistle, so, so you don't even have to explain it now, but there's some people out there going, another big reference? <laughs> yeah, no, yes, exactly. We knew Charlie. Charlie was actually hysterical. He played Dracula. We knew him because of all this stuff. And this is what I love, which was great. My brothers and I were recording in A&M Studios. It's the street 
was this little taco stand, fantastic taco stand. And it was lunchtime, so we said, hey, let's go across the street and get some tacos. We walk across the street, and there's a guy at the window ordering. We were kind of, we didn't, it was from the back. And he's going, uh, yeah, can I get two for, uh, two, two, two burritos and one, for, for, we knew immediately who it was. And he turned around, and it was right when he went, oh, God, did you guys hear that? We were laughing. He goes, and I, I remember, why do you do that? He goes, for, I, I don't know, I can't help myself. That's all he said. And I said, what? I, we were sitting at a table outside, and he goes, go like this. And all three of us went, he said, perfect. And he got up and left. And wow. Said, perfect. No, that's like, no thanks. We're trying to cut down. That's a long Charlie. That's what we called it. Short Charlie. Long Charlie. God, come on. Tim, Joan, I'm 66. I'm making noises on the phone. <laughs> You got to help me here. Your inner child That's, is alive and well. Oh my God, no kidding! It always has been. I mean, no. What my wife said to me was my favorite. My wife said to me, "My wife's English." She said, "I am at the most inappropriate times." I still don't know what that means, but I, I, I think I agree with her. I've tried. It's just, it's, it's. I can. I know when it's coming. I was shooting a segment for a current affair. Yeah. It was nude. Nude yoga in San Francisco. Okay. Okay. So it's television. I can't show, you know, body, I have to show body parts that you can put on the air. Mm-hmm. And there were like 45 people there that were naked. And there was a large, um, older man there. And they're doing the thing where they stand on their toes and they're reaching up in the sky. Mm-hmm. And I'm filming it from the back, but just their hands and their heads, because I can't show, or their feet, I can't show their butts. <laughs> and there she's going, stretch, stretch. She goes, Okay, everybody bend over. And I yelled out, everybody but that guy. <laughs> and everybody turned around. They, they, and even he laughed. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. The cameraman was laughing so hard. He shook the camera so I couldn't use that. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I, they were laughing, which was great. I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't. I just can't help myself. And I, I, I'm getting better. I think by the time I'm 70, I'll have it under control. <laughs> At least no. I hope I do. So you are a star. Okay, nobody knows you like I do, and you go far, okay.
Sit still. We have temporarily taken over your motion picture screens to bring you the following message. You're doomed! The most horrifying evil powers in the universe... You talking to me? ...have gathered together to destroy civilization. As we don't want to know it. There are only three men in the entire world who could do the impossible. The Hudson Brothers. There is no hope. Just forget it. You're still doomed! Nothing can save you. And no one can save them. Except a small, pathetic band of hopeless psychotics. Pay attention. We've got a job to do, and only we can do it. A job? There are monsters loose. Monsters! And we're going to save the world! Disgustingly persuasive. And we can do it! Okay? Yeah. Sure we can. Why? Why? Because we're normal. Are these guys serious? See the Hudson Brothers in an outrageous, spectacular assault on your sanity. See a cast assembled from the three and a half corners of the graveyard. See the Hudson Brothers. They're funnier than Abbott and Costello. And crazier than the Three Stooges. In fact, they're hysterical. See the motion picture that totally snaps your mind. Hysterical. Hysterical. Well, that's what keeps you alive, man. You know what? It's exactly right. That's exactly what keeps you going. This is, I guess this is something else I miss. I just thought of it. When my brothers and I were together, we didn't care who we were with. We never stopped being who we really are. We didn't care. I will write this in a screenplay one day. My brothers and I spent 10 days with Salvador Dali, which was... So interesting. So surreal. Uh, well, see, that's very surreal. Just like his panties. No, we were staying. We were staying at the St. Regis, and we were out one night with the the Pointer Sisters and uh, David Clayton Thomas from Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Just like hanging out. And we got back to the, at about three o'clock. And we were hungry, and there's a bell on the desk. And my brother Mark, as obnoxious as he is, just kept going ding, 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 even as the guy was standing there. And he just actually put his hand on top of Mark's hand. He goes, may I help you? And Bill goes, yeah, we're hungry. Is there someplace we can get something to eat? And he goes, no, the restaurant is closed. And Mark looked up there, and there was a guy sitting up there with a beret on and a bed sheet. And Mark goes, who's that guy? And the guy clerk goes, he's a very special guest. I said, what are we, chop liver? He goes, well, we only have... We only have finger sandwiches. So we go up there, and S- Sally had a plate of finger sandwiches. And Mark walked up and said, are those good? And he just motioned him to take one. Mark took a bite of it and spit it out in his hand. He goes, yeah, this tastes like shit. And looked at this guy and said, do you want to go get some real food? And he said, yes. So we got in the cab, and we went to an all-night delicatessen. Oh, yeah. And ate and became friends. He invited us. You know, there's a party. You want to go to a party? He took us to a party at Andy Warhol's loft. Oh, my God. We're driving in the car, and, of course, 
I said, Sally is what he said his name was. So we called him Sally. <laughs> I said, is there going to be food there? And he went, you know, just puckered his lips and opened his eyes and nodded yes. And I said, do you think they'll have shrimp? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, so he, he said, you know, he had a weird accent. It was like Spanish and something. I was at these, and he said, Oh, they always do. So we get there. There's all the Warhol people, Andy Warhol and, and uh, Truman Capote and those kind of people. And Sally is introducing us to them. And we're going, hi, nice to meet you, nice to meet you. And there's a pause. And I said, you said there's going to be shrimp here. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy Warhol goes, oh, I'm sure there is back there on the buffet. And they had a buffet with everything on it. So my brothers and I just left. We didn't say goodbye. We just walked over to the table, and they did have shrimp. So when we got back, we're all talking. This is my favorite. There's been some things said about my brothers and I. There's some of my favorite sayings of what people thought of us. Mm -hmm. Andy Warhol said, wouldn't you love to put them in a cage and observe them for two weeks? <laughs> oh, my God. And, and, no, no, Truman Capote said, and this is my favorite, they're like a whole new species of human. <laughs> I'm not sure what that meant. Wow. But those kind of things. And you know what? What's really weird is that my brother, we, we, we never changed who we really were regardless who we were with. Yeah. And I think, I think that was part of our attraction to people. Just Staying true to yourself. Exactly. That's exactly right. Look, I'm not going to mention names. I know a lot of performers, both in music and in movies and in television, mm -hmm. that when you see them on the shows, or it's our, on the, you know, they're really great. In person, they're not. Right. They're just so full of themselves. And my brothers and I were never really full of ourselves. Mm -hmm. But we always kept each other in check, which is probably good as well. Today I heard this. Uh, there was a Minnesota public school board chairwoman who said evolution is outdated because it was discovered in the 1800s. And I'm just thinking to myself, evolution still happens today. All these politicians turn directly into assholes every single day. Yeah, no, <laughs> evolution. But okay, whatever she's smoking, she should pass out to everybody. <laughs> what the hell does that? What does that mean? Of course, we are always evolving yeah. as humans. I yes. mean, the world is evolving. You're right. Look, the, <laughs> politically, I don't know if you watched that thing yesterday with whatever that guy's name, Lewandowski, whatever it is. Lewandowski. I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah, I, I, my my thing is really uh, we're still going. Just let it go. Vote them out. Yeah, uh, if, if you don't want them, but don't put on this stuff because you know what? We're paying for it, yeah. not them. No kidding. That's our tax dollars. That's our tax dollars. And you know what? Honestly, I don't give a rat's ass. Just do the right thing. Well, the shit is beating a dead horse, and I'm frankly tired of the smell of the horse. Ah, but well said, Tim. That's exactly right. Okay, Trump got elected. Uh, deal with it. Get him unelected if that's what you want. But yeah. don't go through this this charade of did the Russians uh, collude in, in our in our election? Absolutely. Yep. Hands down. Uh huh. Yeah, it, it, it's already been proven. Okay, let's stop that. But I don't think they did that to get Trump elected. I just think they did that. Period. And I think they still they are still trying. It's just enough already. I My personal belief on this, as far as the Republicans not saying anything, is because they've always wanted that scapegoat that they can put in place or let be put in place that no matter what decisions they make, as long as they get what they want out of this before he goes to prison, they're happy. That's politics. Politics, on, on, by the way, on all sides. 
It's just, the, look, when I was like really sick, our country in 2008, I think, was when we had the, you know, the stock market, the depression, you know, everything. Right. It was just, we were ba- bailing out Fannie Mae and f- all the Fannies. I don't even know how many there were. <laughs> and all the car companies. I was, I was kind of stunned to be honest with you. Congress, I didn't know this. Like I said, I'm not like, I don't, I'm, I'm not, in, somebody asked if I'd ever uh, be interested in running in politics. I said, <laughs> no, I'd run from politics. Yes. That's the sort of the truth. But while we were going, our country was going through that hell, Congress voted themselves a raise, mm-hmm. which went into effect in 2009. Mm-hmm. Now, we hire them. Um, <clears throat> when I was at Fox, if all of the people that worked there decided that we wanted a raise and voted it in and went to Rupert Murdoch and said, we voted in a raise, mm-hmm. we would all be let go. Every one of us. Wow. They, they would show, show us the gate. I don't think Congress should be allowed to do that. No. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't care. But they are. And th- I think there are certain things that we have to fix. Don't burn in the yard The firemen say it's hard On the air don't spit on the street Cause people with bare feet seem to care Why do we do the things we do? Why do we tear down everything we make? What can I do? Shakes, not 
interview a year ago and i had a quad yeah. bypass and i came out of that so different how, how can how can you not uh, same with me me and cancer by the way i like the glasses you had on in one of the pictures yeah i still have them i'm wearing them now you said yeah those are very cool glasses i had a pair very similar to that and i drove over them in my car oh no that's a long story i'm not even going to go into that but thank you that's a that's a hell of a compliment but Jim. you, you uh, and that, 
that makes me feel good that at least I made, every once in a while I'll get a, a note from somebody saying, you don't understand how you and your brother saved my life. And, th- and that, you know, when I was really sick, my brother Bill asked me a question and I, I still can't articulate it. He said, what, what were you thinking? You know, what are you thinking? And I said, did I make a difference? That's kind of what I thought. And not, I'm not talking about the masses. Did I make a difference to anybody? Yeah. One on, I mean, and he goes, I don't know what that means. I said, either do I, but that's the best thing, best way I can articulate it. Did I make a difference to somebody or more than one somebody? I will tell my brothers that that's a great compliment. Thank you for saying that. I've had people come to me when I uh, did radio years ago. They used to, out of Cleveland, I was a DJ, and I would do off-the-cuff comedy as well as disc jockey music in college and shit like that. There was a 10-year-old. His dad was a professor at Kent State University where I did my college, and uh, he started listening to me when he was 10 years old. And it was not too long ago, he is now running library at Kent State University, and he said, if it wasn't for you, I would not be doing the work I am doing now. That's a huge, huge compliment. That's a huge compliment. I did not think I made any difference in the world at all until I questioned my own mortality after this. And, you know, what yeah. good am I doing? What have I done? Do I need to be forgiven or forgive somebody? And I really technically ask for anybody who had any, you know, I had a rabbi come in. I had an agnostic come in. I've had all these people, and oh. I wanted them to explain what it all meant. I, when I had cancer, I had more people praying over me that I didn't even know what religion it was. Buddha, Catholic, mm-hmm. Christian, Mormon. I bought it all. I, you know what? If you're maybe trying to heal me, go for it, man, because somebody's got to. And I, I open, you know, did you grow up in Cleveland? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you remember the Upbeat show? Oh, the Upbeat show. out of Cleveland. Yes. I'm going, this is Mr. Kirby time. Oh, wow. It's starting to break. My brothers and I are doing the Upbeat, what was kind of like the American Bandstand in the mid yes. show. My brothers and I are doing the Upbeat. And back in those days, you know, you didn't have a set, like all the performers kind of had one that we were dressing. And my brothers and I are there. A gentleman walked in. This gentleman walked in and Bill said, oh, hey, here's my shirt. He kind of gave him a strange look. Yeah. He walked out the door. Hmm. About two minutes later, producer comes in and says, okay, which one of you gave Johnny Nash their shirt to get hired? <laughs> we didn't know it was Johnny Nash. Oh, my Guy God. came in, but that really good show. Not a lot of people know that show because it was really just syndicated in the, mid, in the Midwest. Yes. That was a great, never forget doing that. That was 1967. Wow. Somewhere in there. Nobody knows that. That's why I had to just ask you if you remember that show. Have fun editing this. <laughs> uh, oh, but uh, believe me, I will. I've met and have spoken to every influence of my life. That was one of the things that I promised myself when I got out of the hospital is, you know, I'm going to track down every single one of these people that made life wonderful for me and thank them for it. So thank you, Brett, for all that you have so done. So much. But I, I just want to say this. Thank you for on your show. I got to do it, and you're alive, and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and uh, thank you for this as well. And all I'll say is, buff. <laughs> <laughs> and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for for having me. It was it was such a, a broad uh, topic, and I don't get to do this very often. And I really all the topics talking about the past and the future. And thank you again, both of you. I'm anytime, and if there's anybody can help you with to try to get to do your show you let me know if i'm a call oh wow wow no cry because <laughs> it'll 
redeem your glasses. You won't see what you're doing. Been there. Yeah, I'm so- Italian. I cry, cry, <laughs> say yes to the dress. So I just. So now it's time for more but shrimp. Thank- <laughs> <laughs> but thank both of you very much. I really enjoyed myself, and it didn't. It was the fast two hours. Yes. Uh, I'll do it again anytime you want. Oh, beauty! I'm hi. My name is Brett Hudson. I was a member of the Hudson Brothers. Well, technically, I still am. You can't get the blood out of you. And uh, right now, I am, I'm in Michigan uh, directing a film that I wrote. I had a wonderful time being a Hudson Brother and performing and making music and touring and doing television. And uh, now, here I am. I'm on, uh, uh, I'm on Cloud Nine doing this movie. This is what I've, I wanted to do, and I finally get a ch- chance to do it. And uh, I am in the zone with Tim and Joan. I'm Bill Hudson. I'm Mark. I'm Brett. We just want to thank you for listening to our live album. Yes, and by the way, we are still the Hudson Brothers. That's the right. album was recorded in 1978. And it is now... 2008. Oh, my goodness. So it's our first and only encore that we've waited 30, 30 years, years for. To, that's right. So we decided to uh, record one of our biggest hits uh, in a little bit of a different way with acoustic guitars, sat down... And did it live. Right. And, and the song is... Rendezvous. 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 One, two, we all wear diapers. Rendezvous. Oh, rendezvous. Rendezvous. Your mom and dad think I'm bad But that doesn't mean you got to be so sad I'm gonna see you anyway tonight We'll rendezvous underneath the moonlight So I can look real cool Cause I'm gonna see you anyway tonight We'll rock that boot underneath the moonlight Why don't you take me on a rendezvous Oh, rendezvous Rendez, rendez, rendezvous
wife, Joan McCoy, thank you for listening. Check out my website at www.timmccoy.com. That's T-I-M-M-M-C-C-O-Y.com. Also, the podcast The Zone with Tim McCoy is on Spotify. Check that out now or other podcast platforms. Just search for The Zone with Tim McCoy. This has been a PPL Micro Studios production, copyright 2019.